0: As I mentioned to you guys a little bit earlier, I had the pleasure of visiting with some dear friends uh, over the weekend in Harrisonburg and Bridgewater and Dayton and uh, those types of places. And I was reminded very, very pertinently of the very truth that we're going to study today in uh, the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, verses 1 through 16. So, if you would, stand with me and turn there in your Bibles. I'm not going to have you stand up and sit down too much, I promise. But let's stand and read God's Word together, if you would. Okay? And I will read it for us. Therefore, I, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, Diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity. He gave gifts to people. But what does He ascended mean except that He descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. And He personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. And dear Lord, we ask that you would bless not not only the reading and hearing of your word, but we ask that you would help us to understand it and apply it in our lives. Only you can do this. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. You guys can be seated. So as we start... The passage, the first word is, therefore, and I'm sure you guys know the old adage, what is the therefore, therefore? So it points us back, essentially, and says, what I'm about to say is built on the foundation of what I've already said. So very quickly, we're going to zoom through the first three chapters of Ephesians. It's going to be kind of a whirlwind, so hang in there with me, okay? From chapter 1, we see that in Christ, we have been made holy and blameless in His sight for His glory. In Christ, we have been set aside for adoption into the family of God to the praise of His glorious grace. In Christ, we have been given redemption through His blood according to the richness of His grace, which He has lavished upon us for His glory. In Christ, we have been given the understanding of His will that all things might be reconciled in Him. All of creation being restored to its purpose of giving ultimate and flourishing glory to God. In Christ, we have been given an inheritance, not for our comfort primarily, but so that those of us who hope in him might sing of his glory with our very lives and for all ages. In Christ, we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, redeemed as a once lost, precious possession for his glory And in Christ, we are members of the body, the church. The body of which Christ himself is the head. The church through which he works for the redemption of the possession, which is all of creation. And chapter two helps us to remember that before our redemption in Christ, we were actually dead. Okay, We were like spiritual zombies. Okay, We walked around in our deadness. We walked around as those who did not know our purpose. Why did we exist? Why do we exist? Sometimes I still wonder I had those moments. You guys have those moments? We were of this broken world. Essentially, we were seeking to fulfill our fleshly desires as we see done around us by those who know not Christ. We were, Paul tells us, children of wrath. But God. Big words. But God, let us not forget the but God, okay? But God, in His infinite mercy, has made us alive, we who were once dead. He's made us alive in Christ for His glory. And in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we see very clearly that this is not something that we can achieve in and of ourselves. It's not through our good works that we can be redeemed or restored to our purpose of worship. Of God, But it is, in fact, the good works that are the fruit of what He has done. The offerings of worship that we lay at His feet to bring Him glory. We were created for good works. This is our worship to Him. It is not how we are restored and redeemed. In verses 11 through 22 of the second chapter, we see that in Christ there is a kind of unity amongst humanity that is possible now That has not been possible since the Garden of Eden, since before sin entered the world in fractured relationships. So in verse 18 through 20, we read, For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the cornerstone, the whole building being put together by Him, grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So if you are in Christ, you're not foreigners to those who are in Christ. You're not strangers to those who are in Christ. And I've experienced this personally. I flew to the Ukraine on a red-eye flight to take them a sound mixer. My other job, by the way, is usually back there. So I have a very... uh, high appreciation for our sisters uh, standing in for us today. Um, I work part-time for our church and I work part-time for a company that helps churches honor God with the way they do technology. So I was taking this mixer to this church in Kherson, Ukraine, which is on the sea there. It's a very beautiful town. And I flew into the Ukraine with this expensive piece of equipment and I get off the plane and it felt like it was the Cold War. To me... I was really on the outs because there are these Ukrainian and we all know what's going on in the Ukraine. and We need to pray for our brothers and sisters there. These Ukrainian military officers guarding the entrance to the the hangar building. And I'm thinking, okay, well, we're just going to do this. And I went through the customs and they started to ask me questions that made it very plain to me that they were attempting to bribe me or make me bribe them in order to get this piece of equipment through. And I was praying, and I was praying, and I knew a lot of people were praying. And basically, in the end, they just said, just go. And I will never forget, I was shook up. I I could sense the tension. And I remember I walked out into the sunlight, and these two guys I had never met in my life come running at me with their arms wide open, hollering some word I will never understand, and hugged me for about 15 minutes. And I'm thinking, only Christ could unite strangers and make them not strangers like this. And their fellowship and love expressed to me in that moment was needed and beautiful. As shook up as I was, and I've experienced this in many other places that I've traveled as well. I've experienced it this morning, coming and meeting all of you and seeing your warm reception of me. I know that you all understand this. It's a beautiful part of what it is to be in Christ. There is a unity in Christ that is unique. So, in chapter 2, we see that this unity is the motivation for Paul's own ministry to the Gentiles, those whom God has added to his family through Christ's work on the cross. This is us, by the way. This is pretty exciting stuff. He finishes the third chapter asking that God would help them, the church at Ephesus, to understand the length, weight, height, and depth of God's grace, to really live in God's grace to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that they can be filled with the fullness of God. And so having preached to them the reality that they are part of God's people, reconciled to Him and part of the new humanity, Paul begins to instruct them on how to be the church. And that's what brings us to chapter 4. That was definitely the fast-forward version of the first three chapters of Ephesians. But we need to understand that what we're learning today is built on this foundation of who we are in Christ and who the church actually is by nature. Many have described chapter 4 verses 1 through 16 as a kind of job description or task list for the church. And I think that's probably pretty helpful. But it may be even more helpful to understand that at the core, this is an application of what he's been teaching. This is an application of the truths of who we are as the church. How do we actually live this out together in the world? Sometimes that's very vague in my mind. Okay? There's this truth, the gospel. Now, how do I live that out? And really, that's what Paul's doing here. He, he is instructing us in the practical implications of the gospel. So in, in our first point, we see that we have a responsibility to work hard at unity in the life of the church. Because unity is not something that happens on its own. So already you sense a tension between that which is and that which is going to be. There's a there's a sense in which Paul is instructing us to be who we already are in Christ. Because remember, we've talked about this unity that exists. And yet, there are certainly moments where we can't see that unity so clearly. And yet, this is what he is pushing on us to work at, to genuinely be diligent at, okay? So in verse 1, he says, Be worthy of the calling of the gospel on your life. Sovereignty and responsibility are intention here in our minds. God is sovereign, and yet He's given us responsibility. So how does that work? Well, let's not get too bogged down on the mechanics. Let's just trust in and apply what we're being taught from the Word, okay? Okay? He says in verse 2, to do so with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love. So maybe a more full unpacking of this can be found in Galatians five, twenty-two and 23. And I will read it for you here. Okay? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I don't know about you guys, when I read that list and I start like comparing myself to that list, I'm kind of cringing a little bit. I'm thinking, okay, I understand, but when I look in the mirror, not so clear. Okay? And that's all of us. And that's why we must press in and be diligent, as we see in verse 3. Diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. Notice in verse 2, he helps us understand that there is genuine responsibility for each of us in our own walk with Christ and in our own lives that results in our ability to diligently keep the unity of the Spirit. Okay, And yet, with the peace that binds us, helps us understand that the peace already binds us. There is peace to be had amongst us. When we have conflict, Notice I didn't say if. When we have conflict, because we are, in essence, redeemed sinners living life together. And if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. My wife and I just celebrated 10 years in December, and we have been blessed. Her name is Ashley. She is beautiful inside and out, and she is my bride, and I love her. And sometimes she makes me really angry. And now that we have three kids, sometimes that gets magnified. We've decided that the first two, it's addition, zero plus one, one plus two. And then when you go to number three, it's actually multiplication. Okay. So I'm not sure how that works. I'm not a math person particularly, but I, I, that's my experience anyway. And so uh, we need to understand that this life that we live, we live it in a broken world and we are flawed, even though we may be redeemed, we will not see the full fruit of that redemption in this life. And we will continue to struggle with our sin and with the sin of those around us and with the brokenness of the world. Anyone who's ever tried to fold up a stroller and put it in the back of a minivan knows exactly what the brokenness of the world looks like. It fights you as though it hates you. Just a small example of the reality that is this world. There there are many stressors. Now, for me... I live in a place where there's a lot of concrete and we get to enjoy trees and we go trees. And so when I drive through your valley, I go, oh, Lord, can I just pull over? Can I can we just there's got How can we move here? Let's can we just figure this out. It's so beautiful. It to me evokes what it is to be human and to know God, to be in a place such as this. Now, I know when you live somewhere and you see it every day, maybe it's not quite as fresh. But let me make that fresh for you again today. Okay? You live in a beautiful place that speaks of God's love for you and for His creation. And I would encourage you to enjoy it like that. And really, what I mean is enjoy Him. Because that's what you were made to do. Okay. So, we've already discussed in verse 3 that diligence in keeping the unity of the body is needed because of our sin, right? And yet... When we, when we look at verses 4-6, through six, He's trying to communicate something to us that's very significant. There, there is a, a word that continues to show up in these, in these three verses. It reads, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. I think He's trying to tell us that we are one. We have oneness. Now, interestingly, we don't always think of ourselves in the practical parts of our life as being one. There have been a great many books that are trying to pull this out of the text for us and help us understand what is significant here. But the reality is that if we are living as the church, then we will be in close enough proximity to one another, and I mean in our daily lives. That we will step on each other's toes. And if no one in here has ever offended you, then I would say you probably aren't living as closely as you ought. One great example in my life recently, these last five and a half years that we've been at North Wake Church, where uh, Justin and Chelsea were, um, is the way that we do communion as a church. Now, I, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong Baptist Um And so I'm used to a very orderly and sort of choreographed, figured out, planned out way of taking communion together. And so the first week that we took communion as as the church at North Wake when I was there, I thought it was extremely chaotic. And let me sort of describe the process to you. okay? so uh, usually our our pastor, whoever's preaching, will come down and and will lead us through the, the elements. And then he will say a prayer. And then the entire church, in mass, decides on their own will when to come and approach the table. And there's about 600 of us. It's a little nutty. The first time I thought, "Whoa, no, what, this is out of control." And as I began to grow in my understanding of the way that our that our elders think and the way that our church culture really is centered on this idea, I realized that we're being given a great opportunity. Because as I try to get out of the row with my wife, and there's already a hundred people in front of me, someone has the opportunity to defer to me. I have the opportunity to accidentally bump into someone, or step on their toe, quite literally, because the, the rows are only about this wide. And so for me, it has become a beautiful picture of what it is to be in proximity to one another. As we share something in the Lord's table that is intended to remind us of our unity in Christ because of what He has done. And it's become this beautiful picture of the messiness of being the church and yet the beauty of it in my heart and mind. Okay. Now, if we do not pursue this kind of intertwined life with one another, where in our daily lives we're aware of what's going on in each other's lives and we're able to speak the truth lovingly into each other's lives, then how can iron sharpen iron? We all know that, that idea from Scripture that we're to help each other grow. And yet practically, so often, we're tempted just to see each other a couple times a week. And so there's a disconnect there even in my, my church experience. Now the Scriptures actually teach us in multiple places to pursue the correction of others. That means being honest about what I'm really thinking and not putting up a front. That, that's hard. I don't really like that because I think to myself, but then he's going to know that I'm a sinner. Well, if I wasn't, then why would Christ have come and died? The whole point of the gospel is that we are sinners. And to deny that is essentially to deny the gospel. So let us just all admit to one another, hey, we're all sinners together. okay? And if we're good with that, we can move forward in transparency and openness with our lives and actually come to enjoy the correction of those that we know love us. Not for their own pride's sake, but because they love us and they love God and they want us to be honoring to Him with our lives. Again, we are striving to be who we already are in Christ in this matter. Okay, our second point there are many gifts in the body, all of which are intended for the benefit of the body. Okay, so in verse 7, we see, okay, grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. Every believer has been gifted. There are gifts in here that maybe have never been uncovered or utilized or even recognized by the one who bears that gift. I know that that's always true in the church. And our goal should be to expose and raise up the gifts in one another for the glory of God. Now, in verses 8 through 10, the really, really smart guys, the scholars, the ones who have a bunch of initials at the end of their name, they they spend a lot of time trying to figure out what verses 8 through 10 exactly means. Like, let's get really technical. Let's figure out every exact nuance. We can be very easily distracted by such pursuits. And I'm not saying they're not valuable. But what we need to understand about verses 8 through 10 is he is underscoring that only Christ can give gifts to the body. And it is Christ from whom they come and for whom they are intended to be offered within the body. Okay? So in verse 11 we see he doesn't list the gifts, but He lists the roles of the givers. Let's read verse 11. And He personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So again, He doesn't list all of the gifts. Okay. Now these roles are not merely for the clergy. Be careful with your ideas of what it means, this idea of clergy. But to varying degrees, the entire body is is to find uh, an expression of these roles within the body. Now you may say, is he telling me that I'm a prophet or a prophetess? I am not. We need to understand the idea of what prophecy is to understand what he's probably telling us here. It is not necessarily the foretelling of the future telling you who you will marry and how many children you will have. It is just as much The encouragement and seeing into one another's life of what is and what should be in Christ. And that's all through scriptures we see that idea of what prophecy is. Just to pull out one example of that role, okay? There's a sense in which we can be uh, prophetic in each other's lives and we're not talking about something mystical that needs to give us the heebie-jeebies. Okay? We're also not talking about becoming like the Old Testament prophets who heard directly from God. And spoke to the people. Right? In fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 helps us to see that actually we're responsible. Uh, we're responsible for one another. We're responsible for one another as priests amongst the body, amongst the world. Because of Christ, our high priest, making us a priest. Okay. Verse 12, for the teaching of the saints and the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. This is... The purpose of these gifts in the body, okay? To train the saints, to build up the body, okay? For the work of ministry. What we are talking about here is the church on mission. There are people all throughout this valley that do not know Jesus. There are people who heard this or that growing up, or were here or there and experienced this or that. But do they know the overwhelming love? compassion, and service that the church is in Christ. And that is our task. And it is our task to be that to one another. So we understand these gifts as, as literally having a purpose. And essentially, this unity that we share is meant to be a picture of love and the restoration that is to come. In all things. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. It's interesting. All of these ideas that we're talking about result in maturity. Now, when you think of a child versus a grown adult, you think of the child having less perspective, less self-control, potentially. The desire to spend time on things that may have less value in our eyes. Okay? Maybe some selfishness. And so we see very quickly that these gifts are intended to push us away from childishness as the church and towards maturity. Focusing on the things that matter. Spending our time investing in things that are eternal. Expressing the selflessness that we see captured so beautifully in Philippians chapter 2 and other places. I'd like to read a quote from um, a book called The Church, appropriately. And this brother, his name is Edmund, has thought long and hard about this and lived different expressions of the church in his many years. And he says to us, Paul's image of the body of Christ offers profound insult insights for nurture, for nurture. All the members are needed. All of us. Gifts are for the body as a whole. And isolation is tragic. And diversity of function produces not division. But unity. So that means if you have. A role here at this church and the life of this church and someone new comes to the church and they have that same gift and maybe they're even a little more gifted than you are well in in our heart we we're very discouraged by this potentially because we do not desire our role to be replaced we want to stay doing what we're doing and yet this teaching implores us that we rejoice because we care much more about what is best for the body and what glorifies God, then we do what particular role we play in that. And so if we are replaced by someone more gifted than ourselves, we should give glory to God for the gifts of that brother and sister being brought into the body. And I realize I'm asking us to be who we already are in Christ because I know I struggle here. I want to continue and maintain in the things that I enjoy doing. But your gifts were not given to you primarily for your pleasure or your enjoyment, but for the glory of God and the building up of the saints. So we should encourage one another's gifts to flourish for the glory of God. Point three. Stability and maturity in the body come from these gifts being exercised in unity. Okay? We've already touched on this. In verse 14, verse 14, we understand that if we properly depend upon God by depending upon one another. Now, we're not depending primarily on one another. We're depending on God through depending on one another because we are part of one another's inheritance. okay? And the gifts that He has given us. If we do this, then the pleasures and the lies of this world will not replace God in our affections. This is the great challenge. We will not be deceived or led astray by our own sinfulness towards destruction. So in verse 15, he gets very, very practical. And I will share a story with you that illustrates this in my life. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ. So you've heard this idea of speaking the truth in love many times. You may have even studied this passage. It doesn't mean you say a mean thing with a gentle voice. What it means is, we are speaking truth, which is something that is of the Word of God. Okay, Which requires that we know the Word of God. And it also requires that we have earned the right to speak it into someone's life. So you don't just walk up to someone you never met and push a red button, and suddenly you have the right to tell them everything they need to know about how to honor Christ better with their life. It takes time. It takes living life together, rejoicing together, suffering together, weeping together, enjoying barbecues together. Whatever it is, living life together. From another book that's been very influential in my life, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, Spiritual love proves itself in that everything it says and does commends Christ. It will not seek to move move others by all too personal direct influence, by impure interference in the life of another. Literally, I'm not going to go be rude, mean, condescending, and expect that to be profitable or helpful for that person's love for Christ, which should be the only reason we would ever say something difficult to someone. He continues, it will not take pleasure in pious human fervor and excitement. This is not about me knowing what's wrong with you. We've missed the point, if that is our motive. Because, in case you've forgotten, you too need a Savior every moment of every day, as I do, as I am grossly aware quite often. Instead, it will meet the other person with the clear word of God, he says not with your opinion and be ready to leave him alone with the word for a long time. This person may not respond immediately. And that's really not up to you. Willing to release him again that Christ may deal with him. You will never change anyone's heart. You will never save anyone who does not know Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the work of Christ himself. So for us, all we are is a conduit for truth, born in love, motivated by love in the lives of one another. So here's my story that I want to tell you very briefly. There's a brother who just a few years ago was addicted to drugs. and um, One would say he regularly behaved badly in life. And through a beautiful work of grace, God began to infiltrate his family. His parents, who were divorced for 30 years, are now remarried in the church as a picture of reconciliation. All three of the brothers of the family are walking with Christ. All three of them who had walked rough roads have seen massive amounts of reconciliation in past relationships. The beauty in this one family in our church is almost enough to make you weep just thinking about it. One of those three brothers is one of my best friends. Maybe my best friend in the world, apart from my wife. And he would not mind me sharing that his name is Merle, and he is an electrician, and he is covered in tattoos, and he has piercings, and he's not what you would typically call clean cut. He is probably one of the greatest embodiments of the gospel in my life that I could ever imagine. One quick example of that, just two days ago as I was preparing to leave town. How many of you have ever prepared to leave town? So you kind of understand where I'm going with this. It never goes quite as you plan. I planned to leave it this time, but I ended up leaving at this time. And so as I'm maybe struggling with this somewhat and maybe even being, I don't know, sinful in my response to my circumstances. Who calls me? But Merle. And he says to me, Hey, how you doing? Are you excited about your weekend? And I said, Yeah. And he said, Uh oh, I know that voice. Because he knows me. And he says, Tell me what's going on. And I spoke from where I was that in that moment, <laughs> very genuinely about this happened and I'm stressed out about this and this person and that time and this thing. And, and he said, well, is God still sovereign? Yes. Is the gospel tilt still true? Yes. So what are you all upset about? I received that. That's what I said. And my heart called up about two hours later. now, This brother knows me well enough to know the tone of my voice over the phone and know that he needs to interject the gospel into my circumstances and preach the gospel to me. Praise God for such a brother. And I pray that we would all bear the gospel into each other's lives in that way. Verse 16. From him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. How many of you, when you see someone walk through the door, think, that person has strong ligaments? We don't see the ligaments. We don't think about the ligaments, maybe just because we don't see them. But if you took all the ligaments out of my body right now, I would literally fall to the floor as a big heap. Okay? The ligaments are an example of what it is to be a part of the body of Christ. The ligaments, actually, and I figured this out because I had some ligament problems recently, are what hold the structures of your body together. So I had this problem where I was trying to lift things, but I couldn't. It's like my muscles were turned off or something. And literally, my doctor informed me that that's exactly what happened. Because my ligaments were so messed up, my muscles started doing the ligaments' job of holding me together. They couldn't do their own job because they were doing somebody else's job. And I couldn't lift. Now, I used to play sports, and I used to lift weights, and so this was kind of a blow to my pride until I figured out what was going on. And yet, the illustration, I think, is very helpful for us. If you are a part of the body of Christ, you are vital to the life of this church the gifts that you bring, whether you are using them or, or connected with their needs right now or not, are vital. And if you if you look around this room, there are brothers and sisters full of gifts that are designed to be used for God's glory so that the body of Christ here can, can grow and be healthy and do what the body of Christ is called to do. Now, A lot of times, I do seminars for church tech people. I was sharing this with our sister a little bit earlier. Um, Have we ever thought about the fact that the tech person is not even recognized unless something goes wrong? That's a very beautiful thing spiritually, if you're that tech person, because there's no room for pride in that. And it helps to actually slay your pride quite a bit. But those gifts make a huge difference when we're gathered together and allow us, facilitate us to be gathered in a helpful way. I felt that it was important for me to point that out because it's such a big part of my experience in learning this. So, to restate our three points, we've come to the end of our text. We have a responsibility to work hard at unity in the life of the church. Point two, there are many gifts in the body, all of which are intended for the benefit of the body. And point three, stability and maturity in the body come from the exercising of these gifts in unity. So by way of application, I have a few questions for you to help us sort of put feet to this thing that we've been talking about. First and foremost, is there anyone in the body here with whom you need to pursue reconciliation? Are there outstanding conflicts that have not been dealt with? Because we must diligently pursue unity. And that means something left out here undealt with will become a cancer that will eat the body alive. We must diligently, with all humility, pursue the unity of the body. So I ask you, genuinely, because I know many, many times I have to ask myself this question. Is there anyone with whom I need to pursue reconciliation? And I would encourage you to not let this day end. Perhaps not let that person walk out the door today if they're here in this room without pursuing reconciliation with them. Putting them and ultimately Christ above yourself. Question two. Are you building up with your gifts and encouraging others to do the same? Now that doesn't mean... Are you making sure your gifts get utilized? Because very quickly it becomes about us, doesn't it? Are you building up with your gifts? Are you supporting someone whose gifts are being used in such a way that's prominent with your gifts? Are you willing to be the ligament that no one sees or even thinks about so that the body can be what the body is designed to be? And number three, are you working hard at unity are the fruit of the spirit from galatians 5 22 and 23 evident in your life so we're going to have a time of invitation now and i would ask you um as you are singing and, and meditating on what we've talked about um, if there's if there's some way that i can encourage you please feel free to come and, and, and chat with me um, But pursue one another this day and always as the body of Christ. You are loved very, very much.